Welcome to the Million Vegan Grandmothers podcast. And I have Lee Edinger, and he is the herbivore doctor. And, you know, he's a very humble herbivore doctor. I was just asking mm-hmm. before this interview, you know, how did you get so relaxed and calm? And there's such a beautiful presence to your energy. So I'm so happy to have you here. And I'm so intrigued with children's health. You know, I had an amazing pediatrician when my son was young, but I never could find another one since that wasn't trying to push antibiotics and, and not really focusing on food. And I remember one time uh, a pediatrician saying to me that there was a mother that came in and was only going to feed her kids vegan. And she felt that was very abusive. So here we are, uh, let's say 30 some years later, how far we've come, plant-based doctors are going to rule the world. And you are uh, teaching pediatricians how to teach parents. So thank you for being here. Well, thanks so much for having me, Tommy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about how you got started in the plant-based movement and the actions that you're taking towards teaching parents and children mm-hmm. and maybe the programs you're setting up and the pediatricians that you're bringing this awareness to. Sure, happy to share. So uh, I've been a pediatric doctor since going back to 2004. I was working in a major medical center as a pediatric kidney doctor. Uh, I didn't actually learn about the plant-based diet until 2014. I enjoy cycling and I was watching cycling videos on YouTube and a video from a cycling, uh, a vegan cyclist popped up and I enjoyed it. And I looked into the more like content and, uh, and uh, that raised my awareness. I, I was initially thinking like, well, how's he doing this sport with where does he get his protein, those kind of things. Um, But I was intrigued. I was curious. I started to watch the documentaries that were out at the time, uh, like um, What the Health and uh, Forks Over Knives. Forks Over Knives was the first one. Reading the books by Dr. McDougall and Dr. Campbell, and I started to make changes in my own diet. And I saw some really rapid benefits. I lost some extra weight I had, and my cycling got better because of that. And uh, my blood pressure, which had always been a little high, came down. Oh, no, my blood pressure, which was like borderline, came down. My cholesterol, which had always been a little high, came down. I had so much energy. So I started to share this information with the patients that I was working with. Because in pediatrics, if you have a child with high blood pressure, that can often be a sign of kidney disease. So local pediatricians around the hospital where I work would send me these patients, uh, kids with high blood pressure, saying, oh, you know, check out for a kidney problem. I'd find uh, no kidney problem, no car problem, no hormone problem, but I'd be sitting there with a child with obesity, a child eating the standard American diet. And I started to work with them on uh, eating more plant-based, reducing the salt in their diet, uh, which the plant-based diet is very good at. And sure enough, kids' blood pressures were coming down, parents' blood pressures were coming down. And uh, I was able to even stop some medicines or not have to start some medicines. So that was very professionally rewarding to me after all I had learned about how to treat uh, high blood pressure, this was like a new new tool that I had. And uh, it was very nice to get the feedback from the families. Uh, when I write a prescription to lower someone's blood pressure, they'd be like, well, how long do I need to take this <laughs> uh, for the rest of my life? Or uh, no one really was saying thank you for writing them a prescription. But if I taught them and gave them the tools uh, to change their diet and lifestyle, then they would come back with a better blood pressure that they had achieved themselves. And they'd say, thanks, thanks for showing me that. That's wonderful. So 
uh, again, getting a lot of professional satisfaction from helping families in that way. Uh, but you ask about the pediatrician. So uh, I'd be working with families and they'd say, well, my pediatrician says I need to eat meat or my pediatrician says I need to drink milk. So in 2017, I started to give uh, grand rounds, pediatric grand rounds uh, to hospitals around the, the state, uh, which is uh, grand rounds are an opportunity for a department like pediatrics or surgery. They get together once a week and sometimes it's administrative kind of processes that they might be talking about in the department, or sometimes they'd have an expert speaker come in and give a presentation. So that's what I was doing since 2017, uh, giving presentations about the plant-based diet to pediatricians in the community, pediatricians in training, so young student doctors, and really trying to raise awareness that the plant-based diet is an option. Uh, it is an option for blood pressure control, for weight management, uh, and really trying to teach families uh, teach pediatricians so that they could support their families. So uh, instead of saying something like, oh, you know, where, where are you getting your calcium? Where are you getting your protein? I have them hopefully now saying, oh, where are you getting your B12? Because uh, that's the really important nutrient for, for those who are going plant-based. So that's been my efforts since, uh, since I've been learning about the plant-based diet. Amazing. So, you know, when I was in social work, it was a constant reminder that children aren't formed in a vacuum. You know, they're part of an entire family, community, and global community. So we become, you know, this, what we are, you know, with the propaganda of the world, what is going on around us. And sometimes it's healthy and truth provoking. And other times it's what we've all been told. And, you know, as Dr. Will Tuttle says, we were only following orders when we ate flesh and secretions and all of the other stuff that didn't make us very healthy. So it must be very rewarding working with the entire family. And like you said, when you empower them, because that's what it's doing, you're giving them the tools. You're not telling them that this is a disease that's incurable, which is so disempowering. When I was sick with Crohn's, that's what I was told by my, my GI doctor is that, you know, sorry, Tammy, if you go off your medication, and I only went on it for a very short time out of desperation. And it made me, you know, more sick. And so I'm like, no, I'm going to find a cure for this. And I went off and started studying and, um, you know, felt better within about three weeks. And I was already eating really well. I was already eating organic. And, but that disempowered statement that if you go off your medication, you might die. If I wasn't who I was, at that time, this feisty person that believed that any problem can be solved if we focus on it long enough and we set a good enough intention, I would have believed that. Mm -hmm. And so what you're giving people is a different message is that you have the power to change your health. And that must feel really satisfying to be that doctor. Very, very satisfying, yeah. Um, I don't really blame doctors for saying things like that, like what was told to you, uh, because in medical school, we're not really taught about nutrition as a tool. Uh, we're taught about medicines and surgeries and things like that. So there's an expression, I don't know if you heard, if you give someone a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Uh, so you're looking at a problem like Crohn's or like obesity or like diabetes, and you as doctors, but that's the tools we were given. That's the tools that we were taught is the, the surgeries and the, and the pills. But uh, there's this whole other area that can be very effective. Um, I gave a talk at one of these pediatric grand rounds in March of this year about pediatric hypertension. And I showed a study that uh, of adults, 
but can be applied to kids. But it showed that adults who reduce their salt intake by 1,000 milligrams, a typical adult is eating 3,000, 4,000 milligrams of sodium per day. If they reduce it by 1,000 milligrams per day, that they can reduce their risk of a cardiovascular event, heart attack or stroke, over the next 10 years by 25%. That's a, like a that's a, an impressive margin of improvement. If there was a drug that could reduce your risk of a stroke or heart attack by 5%, that drug would be a billion-dollar blockbuster. It would be malpractice if a doctor didn't prescribe such a drug. So here I am saying to some student doctors, like, if you can get your patients to reduce their salt intake, you can get a 25%. It's so much even more powerful than these blockbuster drugs. Uh, so is it malpractice for a doctor not to mention salt reduction when uh, counseling a patient about hypertension? Maybe it should be. So um, yeah, we really, we really, I really want to help other doctors understand the power of nutrition and the power of dietary changes, and sometimes can be even more powerful than the drugs that we were taught uh, or that were given such high regard as being the cures or the the only answer. Right. And thank you for mentioning that because I have the most loving um, gastroenterologist, Jill. And when I healed myself, she she was curious. She was very curious. Yeah. And what she said was the majority of people don't, the majority of my patients don't have the drive to change their diet. Mm -hmm. And that alone is a level of malpractice in my eyes though because they're the ones that the that the patients see as their leader so they need to at least get educated enough and when especially if they have a patient that cures themselves through diet and lifestyle to say you know I really want to I really want to understand this I really want to educate myself on that I do understand that that's not what they were trained and I do understand it's a system issue and then on the other hand, what you're doing is, is such a gift. It's such a gift to say, you know, I know that you weren't taught that, but let's, let's look down this road and let's do, you know, the study via offering this to our patients and just see what happens. And it's usually always good news, isn't it, Lee? Well, there's uh, no side effects. <laughs> All, you know, the medicines that we prescribe often come with side effects, but uh, there's no real bad side effects from giving a dietary change, uh, uh, an F, you know, a good trial. Uh, so yeah, uh, but like what, like what you said, it, it can become a very circular argument if a doctor says something like, oh, my patients are never gonna give this a try. My patients are, are not gonna change their diet or my patients aren't gonna try to quit smoking or something like that. And you don't even offer that, then yeah, they won't, they won't try because they, they haven't even heard of that as an option. So it becomes a circular argument. So uh, that's a cycle I'm trying to break with the doctors also that I work with, that I try to teach. It's like, hey, at least uh, let them know that this is an option. Uh, even if you're not the expert uh, per se, uh, I'm here, I can help support you. But uh, also there are a lot of resources out there. Let the families know at least that that they can give this a try. And there's really very little um, side effects or, or harms to making a healthy dietary change. And it might actually work out for the best. Great, yes, hearing it from the doctor is amazing. Now, is there very much going on in the school programs? Are doctors going into school programs and, and sharing with the families? 
heard specifically about that. I've given a few talks at schools over the past few years, middle schools primarily, um, that are you know part of their health curriculum uh, that they're learning about. So again, a few talks like that. In New York City, I don't know if you have heard uh, Mayor Eric Adams, you heard about his uh, efforts. Uh, he's uh, the mayor of the city and he cured and reversed his type two diabetes. He's actually having vision loss from his type two diabetes and going plant-based uh, restored his health. He lost weight, his diabetes resolved. And so since he's been mayor, he's been making really excellent efforts in spreading the plant-based diet. Um, so now schools in New York City have a vegan Friday. So the meals that are served in the cafeterias are vegan on Fridays. He's also made um, plant-based meals the default in New York City hospitals. So every meal is plant-based and you actually have to ask and go out, the patient has to go out of their way to request any animal products on their, on their tray. And uh, I heard him talk about this. This was very actually interesting. When he first proposed this to the hospital systems, they were like, oh no, it's gonna be too expensive. We can't do that, that fancy plant-based food. But it turned out that they ended up saving 57 cents per tray uh, with a plant-based meal over the animal-based meals. And you can think about the hundreds of thousands of trays that are served each day in New York City hospitals. That was a really big savings for the city. Um, and he's also making movements uh, to more plant-based eating in the prison system that he is in charge of there in New York City too. So really trying to help everyone with the plant-based diet. Um, yes, thank you. And I hear that the default option is really effective. And, you know, they've proven that, you know, in psychology that the default option is usually what people choose. And maybe it's, we're all just so caught up and busy with our lives and what's offered to us, we will usually accept unless there's a strong opposition to it. And, you know, I heard somebody speak recently on, you know, making food, vegan food, a double default, you know, that you can have this vegan option, then you can have this vegan option. And if you absolutely insist on having something else, then you can do that. And, and that's even more effective. So I think that's what we're moving towards is that as we're you know, working towards human and earth and animal liberation, you know, to liberate mm -hmm. us from death, disease and destruction, basically, we, we need to, you know, eat plants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, if it's the default option, at least it gives someone a pause to think, well, do I really want to make a fuss and get the animal product? and maybe even open their mind uh, to these options. Again, just making people more aware, maybe they taste it, maybe they like it, uh, that the vegan food is not the weird food, weird food or, or bad tasting food. Uh, so all of it is it's like opportunities to spread the message. Well, you have such a non-judgmental presence, Lee. So I'm sure that when you come in and start talking to parents about changing their diet and, and you know, it's not a blame of doctors, not a blame of parents. It's looking at the collective, the whole, the society norms, you know, the mm -hmm. society norm has become normalized violence and death and destruction. And we're just bringing ourselves back to normalized um, love and care, you know, and, and finding our best options in the world. And so I'm sure that your uh, families respond really well to you. They feel cared for. Well, when I was, you know, when I was working in the hospital-based system and I would bring it up, uh, yeah, sometimes there was a surprise, like, what, what are you talking about? Um, so when, uh, when I was doing this work 
uh, in the pediatric kidney disease and the pediatric, uh, I joined my uh, hospital's weight management clinic. Uh, and then in 2020, it uh, COVID hit and my hospital pivoted to telemedicine. So I was doing this work online like this and started to have the ideas that I could spread my message further and uh, be more available to families doing just telehealth. So that's when I left in 2021 to found the Dr. Herbivore practice to offer throughout the state um, the plant-based support to families. And uh, so I really wanted to uh, indicate in my name, in my brand as Dr. Herbivore, that you that the families that were signing up would be uh, getting the plant-based message because I, I was surprising families uh, with it in the clinic because I was an employee in the hospital. I couldn't exactly advertise what I was doing. Uh, so in order to get more accepting families or more uh, interested and curious families, that's when I became Dr. Herbivore. And how's that working? Are you attracting a lot of families? I, I just see plant-based really increasing <clears throat> rapidly. Unfortunately, it has been slow. Uh, I'm not as busy as I'd like. Uh, so uh, what I do offer is in New York and New Jersey, where I'm licensed to practice medicine, I offer two uh, supportive um, uh, roles. Uh, so one is for families who are already vegan or vegetarian and want to get a checkup, uh, an evaluation, a tune-up of their child's nutrition. So that's a four-week program of working with me with um, uh, telehealth visits, maybe blood tests or urine tests. Uh, I have a plant-based chef who will come online and uh, teach new recipes, go over new cooking skills with the families, and also uh, an e-course, kind of helping the families as they're working with me do some homework, uh, going through the e-course so that they can learn more about how to ensure their child is thriving on the plant-based diet. So that's a four-week program. And then I have a 12-week program for families that are struggling with pediatric obesity. So it's all of that, the telehealth visits, possibly blood tests, urine tests, even genetic tests for genetic causes of obesity, uh, the an e-course for transitioning the family to more plant-based, and specifically uh, picking a plant-based menu that can help with childhood obesity. Uh, the chef, uh, I have a youth fitness expert also who will go online and work with the family on uh, from their home. Again, all this is online for convenience. Uh, so she'll work with family on stretching or conditioning or strength or even meditation. And then the e-courses uh, that I think I mentioned. Um, but all that's uh, available in New York or New Jersey. And then for families that are more distant, uh, but want to kind of learn from me, uh, I offer the, just the e-courses as standalone products because uh, I'm not licensed in those states, but certainly uh, can offer some educational content for families. Great, thank you. How can the Million Vegan Grandmothers help you? Oh, help it's, it's already, I'm, I'm happy to help grandmothers too, um, who okay. are... Um, Part, part of one of the e-courses I have um, is uh, making the switch a plant-based guide for all ages. So if a grandmother is being a role model in her family uh, on the plant-based eating and is getting questions from the next generations, uh, this e-course can show a family how to go plant-based. And uh, there are strategies for making the transition, educational content about how to plan that, and then also how to work with the different children, age groups, whether they're elementary kids or adolescents, and strategies to help the younger generations become more plant-based too. So all that's available in that e-course, which is available on 
my website, the Dr. Herbore website. Well, I know raising my children and raising, um, I mean, I better be careful about saying raising because my daughter and her husband are doing the majority of it. But, you know, I have a large influence uh, in my grandchildren's life who aren't being raised vegan, but it's the hottest conversation in our lives. It seems to come up every single time I'm with them. Is this vegan? Uh, can vegans be strong? You know, all of these four to uh, six-year-old, nine-year-old questions. Yes. And uh, the one thing that I do know is that they never liked eating flesh food. You know, it wasn't really their thing unless it was disguised or ground or something like that. They gravitated towards fresh fruit and vegetables. I wasn't the kind of mom that had cookies and milk out when they got home. They had, I always felt if I had a great big, huge plate of vegetables with some homemade dip put out when they got home from school, because they're always hungry when they get home from school. It's their little tap in before they jump on their bike or head outside to play. It's gone. The plate of veggies was gone. So now my, you know, my daughters are in their thirties and they eat a lot of raw vegetables, you know, they love their vegetables. And so it's starting them out, you know, young. And my grandkids have been, my, my grandson was reminiscing the other day, you know, he's six and he says, oh, but do you remember when I wasn't even walking yet and you would sit me on the counter and we would make fresh green juice? <laughs> and I just thought, wow, you know, it's, it's really powerful when we start them young. And he's actually remembering when he was little. Some kids, I'm always amazed at somehow how some children can remember uh, you know, so long ago, some, some kids forget their earlier times, but my grandson seems to remember things for quite a long time, even without watching a video. And I think it's super important to respect what children will eat within the realm. If, if their taste buds aren't completely, you know, desensitized to natural sugar in an apple Mm -hmm. or a banana if they're fed processed chemical, you know, hit that addictive brain, salt, oil, sugar, bliss point in the brain, you know, it yes. just completely ruins the child in that area. So one of the things I encourage when parents come to me, I have a master's in plant-based nutrition is to um, just give them a couple smoothies to start with. I said, do your kids love smoothies? And, and, you know, you want to get that nutrition in and smoothies is a really easy transition. And they're like, yeah, but they just can't have smoothies all the time. I said, yeah, they can for now. I mean, some mm-hmm. kind of fruit and smoothies, you can get your spinach in there and some lettuce and some, a few hemp hearts for their omega-3 and some right. frozen fruit. And that's really a helpful hint that I give um, parents just at least add a couple of those smoothies in a day to really get a, a big punch in their nutrition and the kids love it. So would That's you have great. Yeah. that you can give our listeners? Well, yeah, I like that technique. Uh, it's called crowding out is making these healthy foods like the smoothies, like the vegetable bowls with dishes, like the food, making them easily available and crowding out the, uh, the junk food or unhealthy food or or the animal-based foods. So yeah, if your child's full, uh, then they're not going to be asking or going for that other stuff. Uh, so yeah, leading by example and and uh, certainly showing all, uh, how healthy and vibrant and energized you are as a grandparent, and then uh, leading by example to, to show the children and, and offering those foods, uh, crowding out. I like I particularly like bananas uh, because they are 
bright and yellow, and they can be out of the fridge, out of the pantry, on the counter, so that when the child comes in to the kitchen, hungry, asking for a snack, uh, they see the banana, the parent or grandparent sees the banana, offer the banana. It's like quick and easy. Uh, and you can have a banana conveyor belt. So you have like green bananas and yellow bananas, and then the brown spotty bananas. And as you're eating up the, the brown spotty bananas, the yellow bananas become brown spotty and the green become yellow. And then you're putting more green bananas on. So having a like a banana conveyor belt. So uh, I think bananas are a great snack and can fill a kid up. Uh, crowd out any other junk food that they might be rummaging through the pantry for or through the through the um, refrigerator for. Great. And you'll see when our um, podcast is live, you'll see on the our, on the Million Vegan Grandmothers YouTube, in the beginning of the uh, video, you'll see my granddaughter eating some pea sprouts that I, or microgreens that I sprouted Ooh, and she's yeah. on them like, like, uh, you know, arr, 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 this tray of sprouts. And I think it's really amazing to uh, introduce children to a lot of variety of food as they, as they grow. And I was saying to my granddaughter when she was here the other day, um, her, her brother really likes tomatoes but she doesn't. And I just said, she's four and he's six. And I said, you know, Hads, our taste buds keep changing as we get a little older, a little older, and we need to try things three to five times to decide. We don't know with one taste because if we don't ever have that taste, we won't know how to assimilate it, right? And she's, mm -hmm. she's giving this some thought. She wasn't quite ready to try her tomato yet, but she's giving it thought that maybe I do have to try different things. And so um, one of the, one of the, the things I hear most frequently from parents is my child is a picky eater. And so maybe you could just speak on that for a moment, because what I've discovered with picky eaters mean usually means that they've been they've been eating a lot of food that's been overstimulating for them. And they don't hardly remember anymore what real non adulterated food tastes like. Yeah, I like your example of the microgreens also. That's another tip that I give families that I'm working with and as part of my e-course is um, uh, teaching the kids or exposing the kids to how food actually grows uh, with uh, microgreen kits or maybe even taking them apple picking or blueberry picking or strawberry picking or seeing the food as it's grown uh, can be a very powerful experience for a young person um, above and beyond just taking them shopping in the grocery store. But um, so um, your question about picky eaters is um, uh, really, a, yeah, like you said, can be a, more of an evolutionary problem than a behavior problem is the way I look at it in that, um, you know, human beings have been around the planet for thousand years and we were evolved or designed to seek out calories. And uh, our reward centers of our brain really reward ourselves with good feelings when we find that high calorie food, because it means we're, meant we're 100,000 years ago, it meant we we're going to survive another day, another week. So when the child is saying, I don't like this, or I don't want this, uh, I want that, it's just that evolutionary drive of seeking out the high calorie food. Uh, and in fact, they might be uh, misbehaving uh, or giving their parent a hard time because it's confusing to them why a parent or guardian, grandparent, is giving them the lower calorie food. It's almost as if they feel like their survival is being threatened. Like, mm -hmm. you're supposed to be nourishing me, 
uh, I need the higher calorie food. Why are you withholding the higher calorie food? And this is happening on uh, an evolutionary scale, um, like focused in to this conflict over the, the dining room table, over the breakfast table or things like that. Um, so rather than, than try to fight that, I encourage the families to um, fill the child up uh, on the lower calorie food so that the brain can be satisfied and um, resolve this conflict of wanting to survive. It's like, oh, my belly's full, I can survive. Uh, so getting over that hump and not limiting the portion size or not restricting so much that the child feels uh, both hungry and mount and like inadequate calories. Uh, so working with families really want to try to uh, get them to feed more, you know, feed the bananas, feed the vegetables um, in uh, in enough amounts that the child's evolutionary drive can be satisfied that they're getting that they're going to survive. So that's how I think about it. Right, and evolutionary. Um, drive is also, you know, in the color, the rainbow color, which is why, you know, the chemical candy companies make things look really bright and colorful. Mm -hmm. And it's, right. you know, I remind my grandkids of that too, that we gravitate towards color, not, not artificial color in candies, but actually mm -hmm. the redness of an apple or the bright yellow of a banana or, yeah. yeah. And our brain thinks it's making the right decision uh, but we're in a situation of evolutionary mismatch. Uh, 100,000 years ago, it would have been proper to fill up on the high-calorie foods to help prepare for an upcoming famine. Um, but now in 2023, that famine's not coming. We are still driven to fill up on high-calorie foods, driven to store fat. Um, the obesity epidemic is our body and our minds thinking it's doing the right thing to prepare ourselves. But uh, it's become problematic because that uh, disappearance of calories is, is no longer happening. We have calories everywhere. So we're in a situation of evolutionary mismatch and uh, it's no one's fault. It's why we have the obesity epidemic, hypertension, diabetes, heart disease. Uh, it's because our brain continuously thinks we're doing the right thing by filling up on these foods that uh, become problematic. And often undernourished. So overfed and undernourished is what you must often see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whether it's anemia or... Uh, this or that uh, problem. And, and that is thought to even stimulate our hunger more in that we're eating these highly processed foods that are high in salt, sugar, and fat, which our brain thinks we need to survive, but we're actually missing out on some important nutrients. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big problem too. And the one thing I see with um, certain children that aren't encouraged to drink water just as their main liquid, you know, my, my daughter's, yeah, my daughter's, my daughters are both raised with water. You know, we had juice, a little bit of organic apple juice for a special occasion. Sometimes we'd make a warm apple cider with some organic juice, but that was a rare occasion. And, and if they did have it, it was watered down quite significantly. And I really honor my daughter for that. You know, the kids always have a water bottle with them and they ask, you know, they, they know that they need water throughout the day. And they're always asking, you know, where's my water bottle, Omar, could you? And so that's the other piece that I think is so important. I know I see the majority of the adults I see that I work with, they're dehydrated and, and, and Gabe, Dr. Gabriel Cousins says the brain only needs to be 2% dehydrated to start to shut down. And, 
you know, we need that hydration. So you must, because so much of the food and the high salt food and the, and the chemical food that a lot of kids are eating is so dehydrating and the mechanism of their, their thirst mechanism shuts down. So even that hydration, that beginning of nutrition to keep the body so hydrated that, you know, it knows what to do with itself. Yes, as a pediatric kidney doctor, I approve this message, uh, drink more water, yes. Um, but again, 100,000 years ago, a person finding a refrigerator that had a bottle of water or a bottle of soda, evolutionarily, it would have made the better sense to drink the soda. Um, but mm -hmm. now we still have that same drive for the calories uh, and the hydration, and uh, it's become a problem. But yes, uh, definitely want to stay hydrated. Um, being dehydrated doesn't feel very well. I actually, I did a bike ride last week and I just curious weighed myself after a very hot bike ride and I had lost several pounds of water and it, it feels pretty awful. It feels pretty gross uh, when you run out of water on a bike ride and it just feel achy and a little bit, uh, kind of flu-like almost, uh, above and beyond feeling exhausted from a bike ride. It doesn't feel well to feel dehydrated like that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much, Lee, for this. There's lots of tips for, you know, our listeners. And I would ask everyone to reach out that needs a, a great um, pediatrician, whether it's in, you know, the New York, New Jersey area or, you know, a distance program, because our children are they deserve us to be educated. They deserve us to teach them ways to be well and thrive. I mean, it's it's our birthright to thrive. And it's it's absolutely appalling that so many of our children are sick. And by the time they're 18, I think the percentage is 50 to 60% of children are on medication. It's very, very high. And that's very disturbing. So we wanna turn that around with plant-based nutrition. Yeah. Thank you very much. Any yes. final words? No, thanks so much for having me. This has been delightful. Thank you very much.